even though we just sang that beautiful song, I want to just start with these words from Teresa of Avila. May today there be peace within. May you trust God that you are at exactly where you are meant to be. May you not forget the infinite possibilities that are born of faith. May you use those gifts that you have received and pass on the love that's been given to you. May you be content knowing you are a child of God. Let this presence settle into your bones and allow your soul the freedom to sing, dance, praise, and love. It is there for each and every one of us. So let's pick up the story of the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5. Um, and we're going to pick up the story of Jesus and his, and his uh, movement towards public ministry. In the chapter before the Beatitudes, before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is in the wilderness praying. Before anything becomes public, before anything is uttered, Jesus goes off on his own to pray. He's got to get inside of himself and make sure that before he reveals the truth of his life, the truth that he has come to see, he knows himself and he is grounded in that love. And even before we start, even we, before we get to the good stuff, hear this, spiritual talk, spiritual life, wisdom comes out of silence. If you're in a struggle, if you're disoriented, if you're not sure which way to move, if you're about to do a new thing, the first thing to do is get away into silence. A brother came to Skidus to visit Abba Moses and asked him, Father, give me a word. The old man said to him, Go, sit in your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. Among the desert fathers, Christian monks of the 4th and 5th century, it was customary for a novice to go to, a, to an elder and ask for a word, a word of advice, counsel, a word to take home and reflect on. What does this word of advice say to us today? Go to your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. In a world of multitasking, in a world of endless distractions, in a world of some heartache, if we want to get the, to the bottom of who we are and what we are called to be and do in the world, the first thing is to go to your place of silence. He doesn't just go off, though, and, and, and into the silence before his public ministry begins. Jesus goes and he is tempted. What is he tempted by? Money, power, privilege, prestige. Don't you see, the tempter says to him, you can be someone. You can be someone. You can be somebody. You can count for something. Jesus says, forget about it. Get away from me. The tempter leaves, and it says in the next verse, the angels came and tended to him. I had never, I've read that passage a billion times. I never noticed that before. The angels came and tended to him. We haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. 
And here we are with an important lesson, focused on the right things. Forget all the flashy distractions and focus on what brings you to life and what will happen. The angels will come and tend to you or the universe will conspire to help you along. So he begins to preach. And the first thing he says is the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. He's talking about the here and now. He's not withdrawing to some mountaintop to be close to God and worrying about some heaven far away. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is here on earth right now. And he'll spend so much of the next three years talking about things that are right in front of you, a mustard seed, a bird, a fig tree, yeast. The spiritual life is all wrapped up in the commonplace. Your relationship with your beloved, with your coworkers, with your kids, with your folks, nothing has ever been said about God that hasn't already been said better by the wind and the pine trees, Thomas Merton says. Okay, moving along. Just before the Sermon on the Mount arrives in the book of Matthew, Jesus is tempted with the promise of wealth and power. He says, forget it. He's deep in prayer, which is how he's able to ward off the temptation. And once he's focused on the right things, he's tended to by the angels, and he begins to preach, not some otherworldly nonsense, but that the here and now and your consciousness is the key to the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are two things that happen that give us a deep hint into the work of answering the call to a life of the Spirit. And we see it in the actions Jesus takes right before he offers up his Sermon on the Mount. First, he gathers a body. He gathers a people. It's not a big church. It's not a powerful church. It's a random collection of pretty much nobodies. Some fishermen, some women, he calls them out to a great adventure, a great life together. The oddest collection of some odd people. So it seems right off the bat that Jesus is signaling that we are not in this alone, that this path is one where community is necessary. And not the community you'd likely expect. Uh, they're, not, they're not talking about Brown and the New Yorker at, over dinner, right? I mean, you've got a tax collector, Matthew. He works for the feds. <laughs> right? He works for the empire. He's an insider. And then you've got Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot does not work for the feds. He is trouble. He is a rabble rouser. Uh, you know, TSA would went to have a word with <laughs> Simon the Zealot. And Jesus calls forth a community, a body that includes them both. Now, this is the work of the Spirit. This is the work of Jesus to bring together those who are divided in opposite camps and to reconcile them. This is why Bonhoeffer thought that um, the, the community that the church was involved in doesn't even have to be worked for. It is already set in motion. We just have to sort of 
jump into the river. Matthew and Simon, is it even possible? Jesus says, yes, it is. But he doesn't just say it. He demonstrates it. He shows it. You belong. You belong. You're important. The world says power and prestige and money is going to make you somebody. But I say you are somebody because you're somebody. Now, this is where the metaphysics can come in handy. It's not just out there. It's not just, oh, look at those poor people out there. They belong to us, too. Or look at those crazy, fill in the blank, Democrat, Republican, <laughs> Libertarians, whatever it is, right? Pick, your, pick, your, pick whatever label makes you cringe. And, oh, oh, look, they belong. They belong. We're, we're so nice that they can, uh, they can join us if they'd like. No. This is where the metaphysics can come in handy because there's a part of you that maybe doesn't feel like it belongs. There's a part of you that maybe was bullied. There's a part of you that maybe was told, you're not good enough. And Jesus says, look, here's Matthew. Here's Simon. Matthew and Simon are as much a part of your inner life as anything else, and they both belong. It's in here, in our deepest life, even the places where we prefer not to look, that Jesus says, it's okay. You belong. You're whole and perfect just as you are. All right. The places inside of ourselves that are divided, the point of the life of the Spirit is to bring them into wholeness or to recognize that the work is already accomplished. We must simply notice it and live into it. A word about wholeness. Afraid that our inner light will be extinguished or our inner darkness exposed, we hide our true identities from each other. In the process, we become separated from our own souls. We end up living divided lives. So far removed from the truth we hold within, cannot know the integrity that comes from being what you are. When we catch sight of the soul, we can become healers in a wounded world, in the family, in the hood, in the workplace, in the political life, in our own lives, as we are called back to our hidden wholeness amidst the violence of the storm. Like a wild animal, the soul is tough, resilient, resourceful, savvy, self-sufficient. It knows how to survive in hard places. Amen? I learned about these qualities during my bouts with depression, Parker Palmer says. In that deadly darkness, the faculties I had always depended on collapsed. My intellect was useless. My emotions were dead. My will was impotent. My ego was shattered. But from time to time, deep in the thickets of my inner wilderness, I could sense the presence of something that knew how to stay alive even when the rest of me wanted to die. That something was my tough and tenacious soul. All right, so then, we haven't even gotten to the Sermon on the Mount yet. I'm so sorry. <laughs> right before the Sermon on the Mount appears, we have this simple paragraph. 
Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness amongst the people. News about him spread all over the place. People brought to him those who were ill, suffering from pain, the demon-possessed, seizures, paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him. Even before we get to the Sermon on the Mount, what have we learned? First, that before anything, go off and pray. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Second, that Jesus isn't worried about some kind of heaven far away, but the consciousness of being alive in the here and now, on earth as it is in heaven. Third, the importance of community and reconciliation. And fourth, the centrality of healing and the ministry of Jesus. If you were to pare it down, if you were to get it to its core, the central elements, this it would make the Fillmores very happy, right? Prayer and healing. Prayer and healing. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's just for a moment take a couple of those phrases. Blessed are the meek. Does that seem right? Blessed are the meek. You're invited to think about that at the high level. The meek, according to the metaphysical Bible dictionary, is anyone highly trained to react to negative stimuli with love instead of with an eye for an eye. Sounds pretty good. Blessed are those who respond in love. Blessed are those who respond with compassion and kindness and with the spirit of we're all in this together. Blessed are those who do not seek to exploit, but to live in harmony, who do not seek to dominate, but to seek to live, lift all of life up. Let's take blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What might be the kingdom of heaven? First, my wife calls it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In that place, in that state, all are one, all are siblings. The Fillmore said that this is kind of the place of Christ consciousness 
the realm of the divine mind, a state of consciousness in harmony with the thoughts of God. Heaven is everywhere present. It is the orderly, lawful adjustment of God's kingdom in man's mind, body, and affairs. And where is it? Where did Jesus say the kingdom was? Within. 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 Okay, we're going to continue this next week. It's a series. And, um, and, um, and does anybody here present? Like, it's the end of the summer. Nobody cares what we do, right? It's the end of the summer. We're free. Ariana's nowhere to be found. <laughs> so, does anybody not have some kind of camera? Does anybody not have access to some kind of camera? Sweetheart, do you have access to a camera? No, not you. No, the one in front of you, the the seven-year-old in front of you. Does she have a camera? Okay. Even the little girl has a camera. Here's what we're going to do. We're going, next week, we're going to share with one another what is the blessed for us. And you're going to take a picture. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In all of our worlds, in the little circle that makes up our worlds, there are things that bless us. It could be, you know, Howard Thurman, the theologian from the 20th century, black guy from Florida, he talks about how in his backyard there was a tree. And as a child, he was, um, he was pretty lonely. And he talked to that tree. And that tree was his friend. That tree blessed him. Maybe there's a tree in the backyard. Maybe there's a neighbor. Maybe there's a park. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's a, a desk. Each of us has some kind of thing that blesses us. If you can take a picture of it next week, I mean this week, and bring it next week, either in paper form or, you know, whatever, we're going to share it because it's my time. I can do whatever I want. (laughs) Um, And it will be chaotic and it will be odd and it will be strange, but then it will be over. (laughs) <laughs> all right that's my sermon that's my sermon everybody okay what should we do next Connie?